Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Duran Barnes, Senior Managing Director and Global Head of Equity Trading and Distribution at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on May 16, 2022. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this special edition of Let's Talk Future podcast. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Duran Barnes, the Global Head of Equities Trading and Distribution at Oppenheimer. We've talked with Duran on this podcast before, typically at a precarious point in the market for U.S. equities. Well, here we are again. With seemingly all financial assets under pressure, stocks, gold, bonds, crypto, what's an investor to do? Here, we'd like to discuss this great global reset in financial assets and try to figure out how do we identify a bottom. Here, we'll look to identify the major variables that Duran and his team monitor as part of their day-to-day work, handling huge order flows and inquiry in the market with the biggest global institutions, as well as mom and pop retail investors. We'll try to sift through all this data and information to give investors listening to this podcast a helpful watch list of things to monitor in this stressful and difficult market environment. So I am so grateful to have Duran again. Welcome, Duran. Thanks, Jane. Appreciate you having me again. Well, it's just so, so helpful. So let's just jump in. And I guess when we think about where we're at and how we got here, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Fed. Yeah, I think that's a great trigger point, Jane. Like we've spoken about it together over the point of the strength of the Fed and the the footprint of the Fed and, and what the Fed's intentions are. And I think back in December when they intimated the necessity for rates to go higher and their influence on that, well, we saw the immediate impact on equities and tech stocks specifically, which get impacted. And we got off to a pretty rocky start right out of the gate, Jane. And we also talked about global slowdown on the economy and we expressed our concern on China and that really played true as well. So we got off to a tough start which led to ultimately some other economic data points coming out, in particular with inflation, that really got people concerned. And then finally, with crude moving the way it was, with everything going on, both on the inflationary data, then the Ukrainian-Russia war began, and that really triggered a real global reset, if you will. Yeah, and so here we are, and if I look at the landscape of what the current market environment looks like, it's pretty tough. You know, you see all the same things. How are you guys looking at what the present looks like? Yeah, look, I think the last few weeks in particular was a, like you had mentioned earlier, I like to call it a global reset because you have it on all asset classes, as you mentioned in your intro. Not only that, positioning is a very big factor when it comes down to liquidity and when you need to transact in larger sizes. It doesn't matter which asset class. And what we're talking to our institutional clients about is 
where is the liquidity and how is it how is it moving in and out of positions? How hard or easy has it been? And it's increasingly become harder. And why is that? The Fed had provided liquidity underlying buying of securities during the pandemic and was there for a long period of time. And that's pulled away. You also have performance problems with several funds, both a very hard, uninvestable market and very challenging. And so performance was probably the worst I'd ever seen in my entire career. And I think we felt that with institutional clients, helping them navigate very challenging performance. And with that, we're required to sell quite a bit of names, especially in tech. We've seen the pain in NASDAQ. We've seen the performances. It hasn't been like this in a very long time. And so people needed to reduce risk. And that's what we've been feeling, Jane. We've been feeling a very difficult liquidity environment where people needed to all get out and we're all crowded in a lot of the same names. So what we're feeling is that liquidity pinch, the necessity for people to do that. And for the first time in a very long time, retail sold for four consecutive days. That's the mom and pops you were talking about. And they're required to do that. And that shows you a lot more buildup and fear. Yeah. Well, let's unpack some of that. So you and your traders sit at the front lines every single day. And I know that you're monitoring a bunch of different variables that are really important in determining where the market's going to go. And you're in constant contact with the biggest players that help you kind of figure out that data. So I'd like to unpack some of the variables that you just went through. The first one, again, let's spend a couple more minutes on the Fed. Reports are that, I mean, this has been very well broadcast, what the Fed's going to do. And there's even a 15% probability priced into the market that they're going to hike 75 basis points in June. So the market is discounting the Fed. I guess the question is, and it's a hard one to answer, where do we stop? Where do, where do we get some, some clarity and a sense of, of where we are in that process? Look, I think the Fed is trying to be as transparent as, as possible. And experts definitely feel that they're doing the right move and, and continually trying to get inflation under control. I think there are, though, however, a lot of people, mom and pops at home, and just the consumer confidence levels, the lowest since 2011 is a factor here. Do they trust the moves that the feds are making? Do they potentially overstep and make errors in their policy shifts? Are they doing the right thing when the global economy is slowing so much and the U.S. is showing a lot of weakness, in particular, like our manufacturing number that just came out this morning, the 16th of May, is very weak. And so people are concerned that is the Fed doing too much too quickly in an environment that's showing you a lot of strain? And, and a lot of pressure. Right. And, and at the same time, all of that's exacerbated by that removal of liquidity that you talked about and that sort of implied backstop in the market. So we're kind of in a whole new category here. Yeah, look at, look at what China just came out and said on their economy. They said they're going to do whatever they can to stimulate their economy. That was the narrative that we had during the start of the pandemic. China has the zero COVID policy going on, which is definitely impacting not only their economy, but the global economy. I think what we're realizing is crude prices are not coming back anytime soon. We know that that is going to be a continuous problem. So I think what we're talking about amongst the investor base is, okay, when does this come to an end? What are we looking for? When should we jump into the equity markets? 
And I think what we're seeing is when you see forced selling of cryptocurrencies where people have done very well, when you see the bonds and equity performance both acting poorly at once, and when you have forced selling by people who had made a lot of money for a long time, realizing things are going to get tough for a while, what you ultimately need first and foremost, Jane, is time. You need time for that risk and that digestion to occur. And that's what we are going through right now. That could pivot at any point where we feel that people have done that, positioning is cleaner, and people get comfortable with the data they're looking for on a global scale, on the macro issues, or the micro issues here at home. And so I think people need more time to digest that. I also think we're not close yet. I still feel that there's unfortunately more downside ahead. The market typically tells you and telegraphs what they think the forward is. And I think we're hearing it more and more that there is more potential problems ahead. And so I think we're going to see a lot of people hold off, which is probably a prudent thing to do. And then the biggest factor that we look at is the institutional mutual fund communities. The best active asset managers in the world have yet to jump back into this market with conviction. Some say largest cash holds, cash amounts being held by them in a very long time and are wanting to deploy. It's just things that I'm going to be looking for and our team's going to be looking for is when are they committing to these names again and when are they doing it on a regular basis? Right now, you're just not seeing that, Jane. You have no one doing that right now. So that's why these gaps are occurring in the market. I know. And well, let's just go back a second. So we were talking about the macro picture with the Fed, and then you turned to to China. And some of the discrete things that we can look at with China, again, you mentioned the economic data, which is continued to be weak. But I think the world is also looking for when China is going to relax lockdowns. And that's going to be an important thing. We might get some information on that this week. That would be helpful, right? Yeah, well, that would be one of the data points we're talking about, Jane. We need more data points and investors need more data points to feel more comfortable deploying the capital. And right now, there's so much uncertainty, so much, in fact, uncertainty on the heels of an unprecedented several months of events. And they've not been positive, right? So people need to step back now, take a deep breath and see where the world is going to come out on the global scale economy. How are they going to come out with their COVID policies, et cetera, in China? How is the Fed going to proceed? Is the market digesting that well? Are people going to start feeling a little bit more comfortable with the direction of the country, our country? Right now, you have a lot of concerns. And when you have that many concerns with a lot of grenades that can be pulled ahead, landmines, if you will, That's what people don't want to feel anymore. They don't want to jump on a landmine. They don't want to jump in the market too soon right now. And I think you're better off waiting to get more of the clarity, such as the China data that you had brought up. Yeah, well, and and let's talk about another one. So, you know, we've talked about the Fed. We're going to be watching the Fed moves. We talked about China. We're going to be looking at their economic data. We're going to be looking at any policies to relax lockdowns. Let's jump into tech. You know, it's a big silo for us at Oppenheimer. You guys trade a ton of tech names. Clearly, we're in the midst of a major reevaluation driven by interest rates, but also, you know, valuations and questions about normalized levels of growth. So how do 
how do we look at the tech landscape to try to get a sense of when we're going to see some stability there? Yeah, well, the, here, here's the reality. Unfortunately, for a long period at the beginning of this year and the end of last year, tech started getting sold due to the decisions by the Fed. That makes sense. Still, though, valuations continue to be very lofty and high. And people looked at charts of stock prices, the mega cap tech names, and said, they're still too high. And then we ran into the overall global picture we've talked about. And then the positioning of tech names got, were so concentrated that it became a liquidity problem for people's performances not being so great. They needed to sell a lot of their tech, especially unprofitable tech. And so finally, it spilled over to the point where the most liquid tech names that are healthy, great balance sheets, they were forced to be sold based on performance woes. And so now we're getting closer to the point where you need to revisit tech, but you cannot jump into tech the way you thought you had in the past. It was a very heavy driven, drove the markets, literally Fang drove the markets. Those stocks drove the markets for years. I don't think that's going to happen again. I think you have to be more concentrated, more specific, and the active managers can't be as broad. They really need to go into safe haven names that they understand balance sheet. They understand what cash they have on, on tap. They want to see companies with buybacks. They want to see healthy companies in tech. And I think that's going to be a smaller subsect of companies. And I think the market is going to broaden out their focus on other sectors. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, when you look at Oppenheimer and our recommendations, you hear time and time again, know what you own, know what companies you like, know what tech companies are embedded in your life and the services of the U.S. economy. Investors are probably going to be going through that exercise. Another data point in tech that I think is, is going to be interesting, and I know you guys look at, is 13Fs are coming out shortly. And so we're going to get a sense of the concentration of, of ownership in some of those names, right? Yeah, the 13 Fs really tell you a lot. You can look it up. It's public knowledge once they come out and you could see, you can back into, A, how much pain some of these positions have caused people or how much, how little pain. And were they able to get out sooner? Were they not as big as one thought? There's a lot of that information there. But I think, look, Jane, this is an interesting time and this is what I love about our firm. There's so many components of people that have knowledge and can be very helpful. You mentioned our analysts are very talented. They know how to do deep valuation work. Our private wealth individuals, they're talking to some of the finest individuals and corporates around the world. We have great banking franchise that's broadening out and making sure that they are staying first right in front of the top corporates and companies around the world and actually being very thoughtful and creative about it. So I think that's healthy. And then our institutional business is great because we're being driven by our institutional clients that really value the services we bring. But it's a very personal game. And we all know that we're, we need to give our best during these times. And I think that's what we're trying to do. So Jane, you know, what, what are we looking for to help on defining what a bottom is? Well, we're going to listen very intently to our clients. Let's talk about that for a second, because you've talked about mutual funds as being the biggest determinants of market moves. And I know you're in touch with some of the largest institutions on a daily basis. So you, you not only speak with those folks, but you see their actions. But how do we measure 
what the mutual funds, you know, the fund flow data has shown selling across the board and everything. Are you, as you track buying volumes and selling volumes, are you getting a sense that the mutual funds are still pretty cautious and they're not deploying a lot of capital to buy? Yeah, they're sitting on boatloads of cash. And the reason I, look, that's not, that's my viewpoint that the mutual funds are really the driver. And I believe that because I've spent the most time with the mutual funds over my career. And I believe their formula and their approach is always top notch at the finest. And no, they stick with their formula. They stick with what got their companies to be as large as they are. And I think, look, we've not seen them participate in a long time on the buy side, the way we've been accustomed to. Those dips being bought and how the mutual funds were there supporting certain names, sectors, et cetera. We're not seeing that anymore, Jane. And that is key metrics that we see, that we decipher, is really, really important for our firm and others without giving names, of course, of any specific mutual funds, but just holistically giving you a landscape of what we're seeing. And that is going to be very critical. And it could come tomorrow, it could come in a week, or it could come in three months. Let's hope it comes sooner rather than later. Right. We're going to be watching the action of those mutual funds. And I know you haven't seen that buying yet, but I would bet that we're probably going to see stability. You know, you talked about the importance of being careful in identifying which are the safer places to be. And maybe we'll see that stability in some of the larger cap names, looking at big versus small cap defenses versus growth. I know you guys watch all of that. You've been very cautious. You've been right. You know, I know that you've had a pretty negative bias, but let's end up here with some of the positives. So far, earnings have been beating. The Fed moves are well telegraphed. A flight to quality on a global basis should aid U.S. investments. And we've seen a lot of correction in PEs and valuation. So, you know, we're well into this process, right? We're well into this process. And a lot of the analogies that investors use is what inning of the baseball game are we in? And like there are nine innings in a baseball game, as we mostly know. So I think we're probably in the seventh inning of this global reset. And I use that, those terms again, global reset is just that. And that takes time. Now, good news is, and let's be positive, the markets are more efficient, technology is more efficient, and information sharing is more efficient than ever before. So these moves can happen quickly and quicker than they had in the past. When we ran into turbulence and we ran into problems in our markets over the years, it took time for recovery. I actually think the positive we can look at is valuations are being corrected. Positioning, as we mentioned, the crowded positioning is getting narrowed down where people are, in fact, getting themselves where they want to be in terms of the size, how much cash they're deploying, et cetera, and what's on the sideline and ready for them. So I think that's working itself out. I think other things that are really positive ahead is, you know, the more data points we get and the more comfortable the world gets with this new world order that we are now in, the more equipped they are to make thoughtful investment decisions. And so time is our friend and the more active and healthy that this market can be in terms of defining the moment where people feel a lot more comfortable with the data they're getting. And I think maybe post the Fed's next decision would be a really good guiding point because people use the Fed, the global data, the local U.S. economic data, they look at the global data and they input that into their models and their decisions, how they deploy capital and how they hedge and keep their books weighted correctly. And I think people want to see that. 
Yes, well, you mentioned the next Fed move, and by then we might have some more data out of China. So all of that would be helpful. But again, you know, you said in your in your wrap up here that time is our friend. Duran, you are our friend. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your vantage point with us here. I'm glad I got you to talk about a couple of positives because I know that you've been quite cautious. You've been correct, but it looks like over the next four months or so, we're going to have reason to be more constructive. So really, really appreciate your time once again. And thank you for having me, Jane. I actually, to your point about being constructive and positive, with change and with adversity comes amazing opportunity. And I think our firm is well positioned to help our clients and our friends through that. Perfect note to end on. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.